This is Working to Beat. It is Tuesday, January 19, 2021. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us. Give me what you Jam-packed show today as we get you set for NFC and AFC Championship Weekend. Mike and I will uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little later. We'll get into other topics. I want to bring up the Jake Voracek thing um, from the other night, calling out our, our our buddy. And I'll admit it's my buddy, so I'm maybe a little more protective than I should be. But calling out Mike Silski, um, how out of place I thought it was. Um, we'll talk about that in a bit, and uh, then we'll. Uh, but our primary guest, our lead guest on this one, and it's a solo interview I did. With Angelo Cataldi, who tomorrow will celebrate 31 years on the 20th uh, at 94 WIP. Angelo will join us to talk about the state of the sports talk radio, the state of the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, obviously, when Mike comes in as well, we'll talk about the coaching search that apparently is taking on why far and wide implications here. You know, they, they interview Josh McDaniel and they interview this guy and that guy and, and you know, Everybody except Eric Bieniemy seems to be getting a an interview at this point, so we'll bring that up uh, with Angelo and talk all sorts of things. It's been eighteen months since Mister Cataldi's been on this program, and so I figured it was a good time to get him back and to kind of talk about the way everything is going down. Friday on the show, we'll have Matt Breen from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He'll join us. Talk a little Phillies as we head closer and closer to spring training, which is scheduled to start around Valentine's Day. Uh, some talk that maybe JT Real Muto could end up back here. The Phillies have offered him apparently a, a five-year contract over $100 million. We'll talk to Matt about that and where this team is going as the franchise moves forward. So a lot to get to, and we'll start it off in a moment with Angelo Cataldi. I'm always thrilled when I have the opportunity to talk to this man because he is a he's a part of Philadelphia history at this point after 31 years. It will be 31 years on January 20th uh, since he joined WIP. And uh, it is the second time we've had him on the podcast, and uh, I am pleased that he has agreed to come back. Uh, it is from the WIP Morning Show, Angelo Cataldi. Angelo, how are you? Kevin, it's an honor to be back now with you. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of you and your work, so it's a thrill to be back with you. And I got I to gotta say one thing. Angelo is very kind to everybody who's on, but he's been especially kind with me, and I appreciate that over the years. Um, my first question, and it's been 18 months since we talked to you on this podcast, and a lot has changed. Um, how, do you, how has it been, especially this past year with the pandemic, and social justice stuff and 
everything else that's going on in the world to do a sports focused uh morning show every day all right this there's a lot to it first of all we were going along fine until the pandemic hit and then they shut all sports down i got into sports because i didn't want to do news and i didn't want to do stuff like pandemic i did it at the beginning of my media career i covered town hall and city hall and all that stuff and i was trying to avoid all that and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and there was no sports so for about three months march april may we primarily talked about the pandemic what effect it was having on sports but otherwise what people were experiencing and i'm not going to say it wasn't interesting because it was but it wasn't what i was most comfortable doing and then as sports came back, it was like a great relief for us. And then the social injustice hit and, and all these protests. And there was um, there were several days, really almost two weeks, where we talked as much about that as we did about sports, because it did have a major impact on sports. And that was a huge adjustment. And then we had very recently the attack on the Capitol building. And we decided for a day, day and a half to just do that. So I, I, in the last nine or 10 months, I've done more of that than I did in the 30 years that preceded it. And I did it. I did, I, I did it as a citizen, but there was never a moment through any of that where I was as comfortable as talking about what coach I wanted fired or what guy was letting us down on the field. It was, it's always much easier to talk sports. Is it difficult? Because I think all of us in sports, there's this, you know, look, we felt comfortable talking about games and having fun, and, and your show is very lighthearted at times. And when you have to get that serious in, in, in tone and every word has to be measured in a way, um, it can be it can be a real tight walk, can it? Oh, man, you you are so right about that. I swear there are periods where you wonder if the next word out of your mouth is going to get you fired. Because especially when you're not familiar with the sensitive areas of it. In sports, you kind of know where you got to be careful. But when you're talking about social injustice, Kevin, I'm no expert on that. I don't know any more than the average Joe, probably less, because all I really fixate on the sports and now I'm offering thoughts about social injustice and and the you know the the backlash um, by the uh, African American community to George Floyd and all that other stuff that was going on. I was totally out of my element and very nervous the whole time. You're right because you don't know. I don't, I, what do I know about it? I don't know anything about it. But we're supposed to be talking about what other people are talking about, right? And there's no sports going on. What are your alternatives? You have to, you have to dip your toe in it and hope you don't say something really ignorant. And in the middle of all this, obviously, you know, there were layoffs in your industry. There were more layoffs in my oh. industry and the industry has changed. The, the groundwork keeps changing under your feet. Doesn't it? At this point. I mean, well, yeah. So right. Yeah. And it, it, it always makes me nervous because I'm just looking for a nice ending here. You know, I'm, I've done this long enough. I'm retirement age. I'm beyond retirement age. Um, I just like to leave 
on a good note. You know, that's really all that I'm really left thinking about after 31 years. And um, it's always constantly changing. So there's never any anything you can count on and anything you can lock in on. It's um, it's one of the hardest periods I've had to deal with because of that. Hey, is it because I, I mean, look, you you're very good to the people who you work with, um, you know, Ava and Rhea and Al and and Jonesy and all them. I mean, is it, you know, is it tough because again, the economic climate means that your type of show may not go on beyond you. You know, because, it, it, you know, you have a lot of people there who have a lot of seniority who probably make good salaries. I mean, you, do you worry in that retirement decision about the impact it could have on an Al or a Rhea or somebody else going forward? Yeah. Probably even more like a Joe Wechter who right. um, has been a producer for 30 years. And um, I don't know what would happen. I, I have no control over that once I'm not there. If I'm there, I can make my own strong suggestions to management and they usually would follow what I want. But the minute I relinquish that, there are a lot of very good people that um, it's going to be more difficult for them um, to still have the same security they have now. It's a big factor. Yes, absolutely. But at the same time, uh, you know, I don't think if I left, I'm two months from being 70 years old. Right. I don't think anybody could say, wow, I really cut this thing short. <laughs> That's... I mean, honestly, Kev, when I started this, if I could, if I got five years out of radio, I thought it was it was the end of the game. Um, this went on a lot longer than I thought it would, and now really, it's just the end game for me. It's just finding the right way to leave and to, to take care of as many people as I can as I do that. But it's obviously there's going to be um, it's not going to go as smoothly as I would love it to be, but. It's um, it's getting pretty close right now. Is this your last contract in your mind? This is my the last year of my contract, but they do have an option where they could pick up an additional year. Doesn't mean I have to do it, but um, that let me just say that next year would probably be the absolute end. Right, but more more likely maybe before that. I, I don't know. I'm, see, the old, I was talking to Jonesy about it today, Kevin, and, and he said to me, you're going to do at least five more years. And I <laughs> said, yeah, I think, I think 75. That would be great. And he's telling me all these old guys who did it. And I said, they didn't do four hours of radio every day. They didn't get up at 2.30 in the morning. And then he made a very good point. He said, but you don't life. What else are you going to do? And I said, well, that's kind of what's kept me here this long. I don't really know what else I'm going to do. But whatever it is, I'm going to do it soon. Well, what is the drive for you at this point? I mean, is it, I mean, you've been, you know, you've been the premier, one of the, you know, you and KYW obviously have been at the top of the ratings. And I would say Preston and Steve as well for a long, long time. You've had many competitors come up and you've knocked them all down. I mean, you have a new one now, but it's a guy I think you're close with in John Kincaid over at 97.5. Um, what is the motivation for you that keeps you going? Honestly, I still like it. <laughs> I, it's it's the craziest thing. I still like it. It's like I get up in the morning and, oh, my God, they fired Doug Peterson. 
what? <laughs> and and I can't wait to share my thoughts on it. And I, the, the biggest sense of loss for me when I'm no longer doing it will be the first really big story that breaks because I'll basically be in my own house talking into a mirror to myself. <laughs> poor <laughs> you know, poor you Gail know, at I that point. You, you know, I mean, Gail's well, going to wonder if you... Believe me, <laughs> my wife Gail will tune me out in five seconds. I guarantee you that. So really, it's, it's going to be... the re- What has kept me here is that it, I still really like it. And, <laughs> and that's it. I like the challenge after a tough game to, to interview the coach and to see what he's got to say this week and all that. So much of it is still uh, unpredictable and exciting for me. And it's, it's what's kept me going. I, I was convinced I'd quit by 65. Right. And the fact that I'm hitting 70 and still doing it, it's like, wow, really? And then I go, I really like it. And then you go move over and let somebody younger get in. I've always been the kind of guy that said, don't stay a day longer than you should. So every day I'm asking myself, am I staying a day longer than I should? And I'm getting to the point now where it's hard to argue that I am. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to figure out how to end this thing sometime soon. Do you have an idea who you would like to see get the show after you? Oh God, no. I want to tell you something on that. I, I had one picked out a number of years ago and, that really went awry. And then I just said, listen, you know what? I got enough to worry about them who they replaced me with. They've made a lot of very good personnel moves in that station. Mm-hmm. Um, Spike Eskin and uh, David Yagaroff and those people, they'll know what they want to do next. And uh, my input, I never was any good at management. So I'm sure if they had said to me, who would you pick? I would pick the wrong one. So it's best I stay out of that decision and uh, let them decide what they want to do. I won't look back, though, When I do leave, I will not be doing an occasional shift on the weekend or anything like that. The day I walk away from the job is the last day I'm ever on radio. That much I've made a promise to myself. Did, is that something you learned from what's happened with Francesa a little bit? Uh, you know, I know. Yeah, I, yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. I just think, it, or even Howard Eskew still does a Saturday show and stuff like that. Right. I always feel like that, you know, if you really love it, I guess you do it. But I feel like, you know, you've made your statement. You've, you, you've done the best you could for that amount of time. At that point, your work should speak for yourself and you shouldn't go beyond it. And I won't. The one thing I have absolutely decided is that my last day at WIP is my last day on radio, period. I won't do any more. I won't do an occasional shift. I'll walk away for good when that day is, whatever that day is. Angelo Cataldi joins us here on Working the Beat. Um, let me get you to the to the topics of the day. In, in, in obviously, Josh McDaniel's name is being floated hot and heavy. And I heard you this morning say you seem to like him uh, coming in here. Uh, if he's the selection, you wouldn't mind it. Uh, what is it about McDaniel? Like I'm the opposite. I, I'm, I just see train wreck coming, and and, and somebody, <laughs> and, and just somebody who, you know, he he abandoned one team already in Indianapolis. I don't know if you could trust him here, and he was a he was a disaster in Denver too. Um, and, and the Belichick tree. There's a complicating factors, but 
what is it about McDaniel you seem to like? Well, I mean, full disclosure, like Kevin, um, there's almost two ways to react to it. If you're just a pure Eagles fan, you would see all the red flags. If you're a sports talk show host, it Fair. seems like yep. a buffet of great days because a <laughs> the guy the guy does cause a lot of trouble. Yeah. B he's very vocal. He's no shrinking violet. He's certainly not a yes man. And the dynamic of him and Larry, who seems to get more pompous as he gets older as the owner of the team, and Howie who seems to be bamboozling Larry into thinking other people are making the mistakes that Roseman is making. Mm -hmm. You had somebody as volatile as, as um, McDaniels from a sports talk show host. It's, it's going to go, it's going to be crazy. I mean, honestly, it's going to be great. And that's my true motivation for, for Josh McDaniels. It would be great radio. Well, and plus him, him and him and Wentz could be interesting because of the fact oh that my God. He, he would yes. tell Tom Brady to, you know, to blank off and you could read lips and see it. And this is not somebody that Carson Wentz has had, you know, really since, you know, that that Frank Wright and John Filippo crew walked out the door. No, I think this guy goes even beyond that. If you see him screaming at, at Tom Brady. Yeah. Can you imagine if if uh, when, if he was on the sideline this past season when Wentz was making all those terrible decisions, what it would be like? And Wentz seems to have gotten real soft and sensitive in the past year. If he would have to face this guy, and is is wow, this guy is just explosive and crazy and uh, tempestuous. Um, it sounds great to me, <laughs> but I'm a talk show host. You know what I'm saying that would keep you on the air. That would keep you. That would keep you on the air five more years. <laughs> yeah, but yes, <laughs> yes, the thing now. I see. This is the problem. I I thought I was giving people all these great reasons for why Josh McDaniels would be good at Eagles coach, and not a one of them was buying it. That the polls that we were holding it. The callers I would get were saying, no, I don't want them. I don't want them. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you're probably right, but you're not a talk show host. And for me, I think it would be awesome. And and I do. I, do, I think it would be fascinating to see how he would coexist with Carson Wentz. That's the number one thing. And how he would deal with Jeff Lurie and how he would deal with Howie Roseman. Of all the people that have been named, um, Josh Reed by far holds the most promise for a sports talk show host. <laughs> it's true. Uh, what amazes me is if you look at what the, how this search has gone, having Brian Dable say no thanks, like he doesn't even want to interview here. Yeah, the fact that they haven't gone after Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, they're interviewing according to Marcus Hayes. They're interviewing John Fossil apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I almost wonder if they had a game plan when they fired Doug Peterson at this point, uh, uh, you know, because it just seems like it's, it, it, it's crap thrown against the wall. And, and it, it seems like there's no game plan on where they want to go with this. It's fascinating, Kevin, because it seems like they really love to interview people. Some of these interviews go seven, eight, nine hours. Right. Right. And you start to say to yourself, they don't want the process to end 
they're enjoying it. Or they're having a great time at it. God, McDaniels, they said, was there till after nine o'clock at night. And, and he had started in the morning. So you, you get 10, 12 hours of talking at an interview. Um, yeah, I don't. What we're wondering is, based on having heard Jeff Lurie do the 42-minute interview after he fired after he fired Doug Peterson, we wonder if the guys being interviewed are even getting a word in edgewise. Or maybe Jeff Lurie is pontificating for 10 hours on all of his brilliant ideas about football. Um, we don't know. All I know is you're right that it is ridiculous what they're doing. The, the Fossil is the 14th candidate who is list yeah. of people that they either did interview or wanted to interview. You can't limit it to more than to, to down below 14 people. You must just love to interview with a bit. Uh, no, it's it's a dumb way to do things. It shows you the dysfunction of the organization. And, and it shows you why you need somebody coming in who's going to kind of tell them to sit on the sideline for a while and let somebody who knows football do the job. That's what I would like to see. And, yeah, and I, I don't see the two, the owner and the general manager letting that happen. I, I just don't. I don't know. But well, if McDaniels comes in, it could happen. It That's could. That's why I'm open for it. Yeah, it could. Are you amazed that this organization, which three years ago was getting ready to lift the Lombardi trophy, is this dysfunctional at this point and, and no. so bleak? I mean, it, it's really bleak looking forward here. I mean, no. Tra- I'll tell you, no, I am not at all surprised. In retrospect, the shock is that they won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, think about it. Um, I don't think if Wentz had stayed healthy, he would have got the got the Super Bowl. I think he got him to ten and one. He got hurt. Foles, who has I think a little more intestinal fortitude, comes in, takes them across the finish line. Yeah. Um, they beat a a, a a dynasty. I no. The the outlier is not the last year. The outlier is three years ago when they won it all. It is the yeah, we actually had on the show a couple of weeks ago, what was the bigger miracle? The miracle on ice in 1980 when the U.S. amateurs beat the Russian professionals in hockey. Where the Eagles, the being... Eagles beating the Patriots well, three years ago. And I, It's and, that close to me. It's a miracle. And it's amazing hearing Jeff Lurie in that press conference, which, uh, you know, I joked with you last week. I thought it was as bad as John Middleton with Matt Clintack and them after they fired Kapler a couple of years ago. And we all said that was the worst press conference ever. But I thought Lurie's was just as bad. And we find out that he, the first thing he says to Jim Schwartz after the Super Bowl, after he wins his first Super Bowl, is, God, that was awful, you know, about the way his defense played. I mean, that just, you know, if I'm Jim Schwartz, I'm looking at him and going, well, thanks. You know, how about the, how about the Minnesota game when we shut down them? And and all it, it's just so dysfunctional by the way that, that they've operated. And I, I'm surprised that Jeff... Jeff, at the age of 70, and he's turning 70, seems more involved in it than ever at an age when most people start pulling back as owners. That's what's amazing to me. I think the um, the moral of this conversation so far is when people turn 70, they should leave. (laughs) That's not what I was saying, but... (laughs) No, I think you're right, though. No, I don't want... Would he be more involved now? Does he think he knows more? 
He certainly didn't demonstrate it during that news conference. He, he did not demonstrate any acute knowledge of football during those 42 minutes. I can tell you that. It was one of the most discouraging things I've ever heard. It was terrible. Yeah. I think it was worse than the Middleton one. I think it was worse. It, it was worse because it, it seems like it seems like they're delusional on where they are. I don't think the Phillies were delusional on what Gabe was or where they were as, yeah. an, as an organization at that point. Um, yeah. When, yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, who's in bigger trouble right now, the Eagles or the Phillies? The Eagles, because I really think Dave Dombrowski will map out a plan and make them respectable immediately and a threat not far down the road. I have a lot of faith in Dave Dombrowski. I mm-hmm. do not have that level of faith in Howie Roseman. Nothing close to it. Yeah, and and Howie and Howie's the type who who has dodged every opportunity to get criticized, not just by his owner, but really in public. I, I he doesn't come on your show, but once a year, correct? Yeah, it's usually tied in with the um, radio phone. Radio phone. He yeah. comes on, and I got to tell you the truth anyway. It's it's really. He dodges any really important questions. There's not a lot there. He's gotten good at it. He was more. He was better early on, mm-hmm. but he's really he did figure out how to answer questions without saying anything, and that's pretty much the way he handles it now. That you don't get much out of Holly. He's pretty good at it now, actually, right. but because he gives you a soundbite, but it doesn't really mean much. Will you miss Doug Peterson? Very much. Uh, is it just? In a, in a sports world today where, you know, a good character is not all that a priority, he was a hell of a good man. He really was. I mean, I got to talk to him every uh, every Monday after every game. And he, you know, there were times when he was a little frustrated and whatever, but he never lost his dignity. He always understood, as well as anyone, that he was, that he was holding a trust for the for the fans of the city that they were what it was really all about and he never lost sense of that he answered questions honestly he didn't duck stuff no he's one of my top five all-time managers or coaches because because he was an honest man and a good man and you had to root for him if you got to know him at all and i was certainly no friends with him my only contact with him was on those interviews um, I didn't even have a contact for him to wish him well after he got fired. Um, but I could tell you that um, I read it for him because he's a good man. In that profession, you got so many phonies like Andy Reid or obnoxious people like Chip Kelly. When somebody like Doug Peterson comes along and then wins you a Super Bowl, that's a great story. And he's one of my all-time favorites. I really mean it. Was there somebody that you felt like you misjudged uh, in the years you've been covering them in this town? Misjudged. That's a really good question. I had um, misjudged. Wow. Thought he was. He ended up. Well, no, I'm saying, but I'm saying like. Nothing pops right into my head. Let me put it that way. Like I I can't suddenly say. Chip. I thought Randy Ears was. In retrospect, a great six or coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but like, but, but, a lot of dogs in there is what I'm trying to say. Right. And I met pretty much all of them. 
Heck, and, and you know what? All right, uh, here's the closest I'll come to that. Charlie Manuel, because when they brought him in, I wouldn't have bet a nickel that they would ever win a championship with Charlie. I never warmed up to him to the point where I thought he was actually a really good manager mm-hmm. because those teams that Pat Gillick put together, 8, 9, 10, 11, Eight, nine, ten, eleven. Those were really good teams. Seven, right. six, not bad either. They had a nice run there and only won one. I figured they had to get two out of that, either nine or eleven for sure. They needed to get that second one, and I thought with a better manager they might. But look, I mean, I portrayed him as this hillbilly, clueless guy. And in retrospect, a a quality man, and B. Not a bad manager. So if I if I was wrong on any, Charlie would be at the top of the list. Okay, because I was wondering if, like, Chip, for example. I mean, Chip tried to woo you early, coming to Wing Bowl and all that, and then yeah. he turned out to be a bit of a fraud. I mean. Yeah, he did. He definitely did, because, boy, after that, his career went right down the toilet. Yep. But, um, you know what it was? No, I don't. My definition for a guy like Chip is, was he an interesting guy? Did he create interest stuff, interest in the team? And he fulfilled that stuff times ten. He was right. he was fascinating for the three years he was here. So I mean, it served my my own interest side to keep things interesting. It's great for the audience, and and he delivered on that stuff. So no, I thought he was all right. It, should he have won more? Yeah, I guess the way he started, we thought he was going to be incredible, and that obviously didn't work out. Um. Let me a couple of final questions for you here. Obviously, I'm sure you saw the Jake Voracek thing the other night with with my buddy, yeah, yeah. with my buddy Silski. Um, I'm surprised, in a way, that nobody stood up to Voracek after that. It, it, you were, a, you know, a newspaper reporter in this town for a long time, and I get that maybe it's more public because of the Zoom aspect of it. Yeah, but the idea that somebody harbored a grudge for 15 months and then brings it up and it, it kind of passed silently without anybody criticizing them. Amazed me. It kind of floored me. Yeah. I'll give you a little inside story on that. I was ready to rip. I was ready to rip Jake for check apart today. So yesterday on the Monday, I called Mike Sealski to bring right. him on and Mike Sealski bat. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to become the story. Right. And I understood that, but I went, wow, I got then the, the McDaniels thing hit. And it was like, wow, I can't even wedge it in really. So Mike is on the Wednesday show, the January 20th show. Right. And I plan to make an issue out of it then. So it is a disgrace what Voracek did. And my answer to Voracek simply is, what exactly makes you a good media critic? What makes you call somebody who I happen to know for a fact is an elite journalist, mm-hmm. a weasel, because he is writing opinion, which is his job that you don't happen to agree with. You have every right to say that. You have every right to do what you did. But then you better be ready to accept the backlash because you've taken on somebody. Let me put it to you this way. Mike Sealski in his field, is a hell of a lot better performer than Jake Voracek is in his. And if Jake Voracek wants to 
skate on the line of media criticism, he better be ready to get it himself because he's getting it from me tomorrow. Screw him. Well, and, it, and I know it's going to happen, Kevin. Al Morgani will jump to Voracek's defense because Al is not pro media anyway, and he is very pro flyers. So it's probably going to be a fight. And, but, it, um, and it's, no, I think, to make a spectacle out of it. Be, be ready to get ripped yourself. And that's what's going to happen with me. But no one does it. You're right. No one does it anymore. Yes. No, I mean, it, it, it's few and far between. I think Jeff McLean's really good at it. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I, I you know, the, 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 the defense mechanism that I think we all had on the beat is different these days. I don't know, especially on yeah. the Flyers beat. Um, Flyers beat never has been a bastion of, of, you know, it's not the same as the Eagles and it's not the Phillies. So I think maybe that's what's bought into some of this. Um, but anyway, um, what do you, <laughs> what you, let's wrap up with, with this kind of conversation, uh, with this topic, as somebody is trying to call through, and that's why the beep, yeah, the beeping noise. I a little there, Kev, but Kev, here's, I, I'm losing your Kev flipping on me right now, but um, I could tell you this, there was one year when the Flyers beat was run with real nasty writing. It was the year I covered them for the Inquirer. <laughs> that's true. And that year. What I year was that? From, uh, it was 1983-84. I was chased around the rink by Bob McCann, the coach. <laughs> I was attacked by a couple of different players. Bob Clark held an impromptu news conference to call me an asshole. <laughs> if I could say that you, on your podcast. No, sure, you can say it. Oh, you can. Wow. You, you only no, you can. This. Absolutely. That's the great part no, about podcasts. He, you can say whatever you want. You know, you don't have to worry and, about the, the bleep bomb. Uh, well, he called me that, and he held an impromptu news conference, and, and I pulled out my tape and played for the media what he had said because he was denying something that he had said. I don't think he realized I had taped it. And uh, the year that I covered it, it was crazy. It was wild because I covered it like you would cover City Hall. I had a yeah. uh, a real critical end, end to it, uh, an angle to it, and uh, – Oh, I had I had lots of problems with the uh, with the Flyers when I covered them, but you're right that I mean, that was 35 years ago. But now, oh uh, no, it's a, it's a little club. Everybody's just really happy they get to see hockey games for free. Yeah, uh, there's very little critical writing. The only critical writing about hockey in our city is by Mike Sealski. Yeah, and this guy Boracek takes him on, but not good. No. And Mike's going to hate me, Kevin, because I'm going to basically take up for him, and he wants the whole thing to go away. But, yeah. you know, I'm old school. I, you, you take on the media, the media should be taking you on. And that's what I plan to do. Do you imagine what your mornings will be like when you do retire? Yeah, not great. Oh, no, I, I think my dog's going to tune me out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, what, what's no, happening? it's on not going to be good, Kevin. On- on a I, week. I've had this bully pulpit for too long now. It's, it's unimaginable for me to walk away from it. That's my problem. You're, you're hearing right now during your podcast the, the quandary I have because uh, I still want a forum, but I'm tired. But, like, what time do you wake up on the mornings on a Saturday or Sunday morning? Um, on a Saturday or Sunday, I try to sleep later. I take a nap on a Friday, but I'm awake by 530. 
because I get up at two thirty during right. the week. So five thirty is um, is about as late as I can push it. Wow. God bless you, because <laughs> it's the exact well, that's opposite. the reason I want to retire. <laughs> I want to live a normal life. And my wife says to me, um, it's too late for that. You're not normal. You're not going to be anymore. Forget about it. Keep working. She doesn't want me here either. <laughs> How do you like Pennsylvania life as opposed to Jersey? Um, I liked it fine until I tried to get the vaccine. And then, I, <laughs> then it's you... a hell of a lot easier in New Jersey. It is. It is. So, I, you know. There's, there's great aspects to it. I love being right near everything like I am at Chestnut Hill and all that. Um, but, you know, I also, there are aspects of either either state. Right now is the wrong time to ask you because I'm so ticked off about the vaccine not being available in Philadelphia. They're yeah. still trying to get all the health workers vaccinated, and they just don't know how to do it. Yeah, my mom. They're terrible at this. They're terrible at it. And I've tried to get more involved to see what's going on because I'd like to get shot. I mean, the 65 and older, you should be able to get the shot now. Yeah. Not a chance. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm going to end up going to Jersey at some point, I think. Yeah. My mom's a diab- or My mom works in a pharmacy. She's 70 and she just got her first mm-hmm. shot. So, wow. Uh, wow. I mean, that's a that's an issue. Angelo Cataldi, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, don't retire just yet, please. We, I think everybody loves <laughs> listening in the mornings and uh thank you for everything you've done for for me personally i appreciate it and uh thanks for coming on well yeah believe me you're one of my best guests so you've done a heck of a lot more for me than i've done for you but kevin it's always a pleasure anytime you need me just ask angelo cataldi and we'll be back right after this Our thanks again to Angelo Cataldi for joining us. Uh, An interesting conversation regarding kind of his future at WIP, uh, where he sees the sports media biz. We got talking about the Eagles a little bit and uh, a little bit about the Flyers. And uh, joining us now is uh, my partner. Hello, Mr. Hello, Mr. Mike Kern. You going to let me in on the highlights or what? Yeah, highlights are he, he sounds... Since I listened to him this morning for a couple hours while I was waking up. Uh, doesn't know how much longer he wants to do it. He's got a contract with an option year left. He's in the final year of his deal. He has an option year left. He thinks he's closer to the end. Than the, he's not certain about going forward on that. Well, uh, he's definitely closer to the end. Than well, the no, 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 but, no. but yeah. I'm, I think on his contract, I think, you know, it may, he made it sound like he's thinking it's time to. When's his contract run out? He has uh, one more year left. I think it's through the summer, and then there's an option for the station, and I think he's kind of weighing whether it's time to go forward about that. But um, you think the station would obviously keep him. Yeah, but I think I think it's up to him if he wants to do it beyond that. So, so basically what he you're turns saying, 70 do, in a couple weeks. So He could do it till this summer mm-hmm. and stop, or, or he next could do summer. it for like another year or two and then stop. Mm-hmm. And how old is Angelo? He's turning 70. Really, I see. I didn't think he was quite. Yeah, I should. Christ, I'm. I'll be sixty three. Um, you know, I mean, look, my advice to Angelo would be: he doesn't need my advice. If, if he enjoys doing it, then you should. He doesn't. He obviously doesn't need the money, right? You know, I remember he talked before about being a a, a professor or teaching or whatever. And at seventy years old, I mean, I, my my thing was, I would just enjoy life, like 
I know he's got grandkids. I know he says he watches TV all the time. Um, he's got, uh, you know, he's, he can obviously live where he wants and do what he Does he still have the house at the shore? I believe he does. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean he lives in life. just the hell now. Um, yeah. It's a good life. And, um, you know, the, the question I think is more relevant to listeners mm-hmm. is what would happen to the show if, well, if Angelo goes. We got into that. He's not, he's not interested in picking his own successor. Uh, that no, he, that's a good thing, I think. Yeah. I think he kind of, yeah. he mentioned, he, he mentioned, he mentioned how he had a plan one time about that, and I'm assuming he's mentioning Farzetta. Uh, yeah, and it didn't maybe. work, and it fell apart, and all. And that. you've mentioned Joe Julio before to me. Well, yeah, that, that I mean, Joe I, I, or or Joe De, or uh, or Joe Camera has been Joe mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the question is, does does Al and Rhea? Well, that's the other part of it, and, and talking yeah. about those guys, and, and that was something else we brought up, and uh, um, and, and plus, what he'll miss is the big story, which is. Stuff like the Eagles coaching search. And sure. uh, and so let's let's get to that at this point. Um, one, one thing I got to tell you, too, mm-hmm. and I know you know this, Jonesy is fantastic. Oh, he's incredible. He's funny. He had some out. lines in. And the one line they didn't come up with, which I, I th- they were talking about the, the Mets GM, you know, and <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Jonesy had a couple good lines, but what, I, what they never said, at least when I was, is that's why they invented junk mail. They never came up with, but Joe, Jonesy comes in like just out of the blue with these little lines. Like, and if you're not listening real carefully, you can miss them sometimes. Right. And he's so good at it. He's, and today he was like, they were teasing him because obviously he did the flyers last night, you know, so he probably didn't get a lot of sleep and whatever, but he's just the whole crew, the way they work together. And even when there's other people and they're like, it's awesome. Billy. Yeah. Yeah. And Conklin had a couple things today that were, Unbelievable! Yep, songs about the Eagles. Oh God, were they were they were really good. Do you realize, Kevin? If I'm not mistaken, last night would have been our sports writers' banquet. Yeah, it would have been. I'm pretty sure. Don't we usually do it on on Martin Luther, Martin King? Luther King night? Yeah. And am I missing the point? Is that the first time the Eagles? Or the Eagles, the Sixers haven't played on MLK in a while. Well, they were supposed to play. Back to back nights on Saturday. So I think the schedule no, at this point. I, oh I no, I know, you, but, but I think the schedule at this point was so screwed up. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. But I mean, they the weren't pandemic. on Christmas. No, you know, which is which was a little different. Um, it, it's almost like, I mean, people still want to see Joel Embiid. I think and Ben Simmons. I mean, but uh, yeah, okay, whatever. It's I just thought that was weird because the, the Sixers always play on MLK Day, but that's okay. You know. Um, I will tell you. Uh, <laughs> let me put it this way. I, I, I look at it this way with the Eagles. Uh, Marcus Hayes, we should point out today, says that they're going to interview John um, Fossil, uh, Jim Fossil's son, who was the special teams coach at the Cowboys mm-hmm. and was a special teams coach with the Rams for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, which well, brings- John Harbaugh went from special teams right. to becoming a pretty good coach at you know, I don't know how many others did that. But. Which brings it to like I think thirteen or fourteen now that have been on the Eagles list. It's like a ten, it's like when Temple was searching for a coach, back you know I think when they eventually hired Matt, and I, I said you're interviewing everybody on the face of the earth. You know, well we're doing our due diligence. Okay, whatever. Hey, you know the guy from Buffalo doesn't want you. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, and I'm not saying he's the answer. I'm I'm just saying. Yeah. Has a name popped out? Like the fact that they haven't interviewed Eric Bieniemy to me is a little weird too. 
Uh, well, how, how about the fact that that if five coaching jobs I think have been do I have that right? Five. Yeah, five of the jobs. seven have been filled, and they're all white. Yeah, and they came out with this big directive, you know, a couple of weeks ago or whatever. Right. Seventy percent of the league is black. Okay, whatever. I'm not saying you should hire a black man if if you don't think the but, but it, it does strike me as a little weird that Eric Bien. Now he might get the Houston job, you know, and I and Eric Bien might not be a good head coach. I, I don't know this. Um. But I think there's three or four coordinators that are still playing that are African American. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, Todd Bowles, uh, Leslie Frazier, uh, who right. are coordinators both, and, obviously. And the enemy. And and is there any more? Did I? Is, uh, is that- By- Byron Leftwich, who is the offense coordinator for okay. the for the for the Bucks. Right. So half of the at least half of the coordinators still playing mm-hmm. are African American. It just seems weird to me. And I think it all goes back to the fact that that some people feel uncomfortable with still with it. It's it's like college football coaches, you know. They, you know, you you have to appease your audience, and I think sometimes owners aren't comfortable for whatever reasons. I'm not saying it's racism. Well, I'm just saying it, it, there's there's got to be a reason why. I, the enemy thing is weird though, because the eagle it's from a coaching tree. The Eagles have already gone to. It's from an eagle. It, it's coming with the highest like endorsement possible from andy who, yeah but the word is that he hasn't interviewed well and uh, i don't know what that means i, I don't yeah, know that, like, that, that to I, me you like is, well or you don't interview well but that was the word that he doesn't do well in interviews but so, like if you're bringing special teams coaches in for interviews no offense bring it bring the offense coordinator in of the team that won the super bowl last year and is going back to a championship game this year and well, at least well, they missed their window on on talking to him well, they uh, could talk to him virtually. Yeah. I mean, look, Ke- Kevin, I don't know. I, I don't know if Eric B. I, I don't know. I think one of the problems is when you coach for Andy or you or even like, you know, McDaniel at, at, at New England, when you coach for a guy that's that good, I think sometimes people like, look, we got Peterson, right? Mm-hmm. And what, would, what did everybody say about Peterson when we got him? Well, what do we know about him? And he wasn't a coordinator, but it was like, you know, they, and then Andy went out of his way. Oh, he was calling plays. He was calling plays. Okay, was he? You know, was he calling plays when that drive took you 20 minutes to get down the field in that last game that he played at Kansas City? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what a Jeff Lurie or a Howie Roseman or any organization is looking at. I mean, Andrew Gaze got hired twice. Uh, so, you know, I mean, ask me to explain that. I think Todd Bowles is a, from all I've heard, ever heard about him, he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Mike? Um, I apologize. That was an Amber alert. Um, oh, that's okay. Yeah. And it might come through again, but, um, you know, he didn't do well in New see what would bother me with Todd Bowles. He's obviously a very good de- defensive coordinator. There's no doubt about that. He was a great head coach, but, okay. but he didn't handle New York. Well, oh. and I think Philadelphia is a lot like New York. I, I, you, know, you have to have a special talent to get along with the media pride. Chip obviously didn't, um, I think Doug did some of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if Josh McDaniel comes here, which it looks like it might happen, man, I mean, that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to go on the record right now, and I said this on Twitter earlier. Complete shit show. It'll be a complete shit show if Josh McDaniels is the head coach here. Well, um, because see, I, of wouldn't, the, I wouldn't go that far because I don't know Here's the two questions you have. Whoever's the Eagles coach, I don't care if it's Josh, 
if it's BA, whomever, whomever's the coach. And I think Josh McDaniel knows what he's doing. I, I think, I know it didn't, it, it didn't go well in Denver. That was a decade ago. Okay. That was a de- the whole thing with the Indianapolis thing. I don't know. It, I mean, maybe Belichick went to him just like Belichick took a job once. And then the next day said, right. You know, maybe went to him and said, look, don't go there. I, I'm going to give you more respect. And they won a Super Bowl the next year. Um, the two questions you have to ask yourself as an Eagle fan is, A, is the new guy in, and Wentz going to work? Because if it isn't, then you got a problem. Unless Jalen Hurts becomes a real good NFL quarterback. And B is, what is Jeffrey and Howie going to allow the guy to but, do? But that's what I'm leaning towards. Josh McDaniel, well, we hold on. You don't know that. But, but I've seen Josh McDaniel chew out Tom Brady on the sidelines. I've seen Josh McDaniel chew out Cam Newton on the sidelines. Both of them, if you take the Jeff McLean story as its word, and I kind of believe it, both of them, like, are 10 times tougher mentally than Carson Wentz. Both of them are more willing to accept coaching than Carson Wentz. Well, then maybe you got to move on from Carson Wentz. But they don't want to. Maybe Carson Wentz, like, if you're going to say to me the whole next couple years, hinges around making Carson Wentz feel comfortable. And the only way Carson Wentz is going to feel comfortable, according to Jeff's story, is that basically I'm going to do it. Then it doesn't matter who the coach is. It doesn't matter if you bought Todd Bowles in. It doesn't matter if you bought Eric And And to me, maybe Carson needs a kick in the I don't know what Carson needs. I have no idea. Because Carson would probably sit here and tell us he doesn't need anything. Right. Okay, so I don't know that. But the, the other question to me becomes, in Doug, they, they had, this is a bad word to use, but they had a puppet. The puppet won a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. okay? That, that, that's pretty good. Um, but it was some guy that they obviously were going to tell him who's, if Josh McDaniel comes in here, I cannot believe he's going to take this job unless he says, I'm picking my coordinator, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I'm obviously not going to run the franchise. Jeffrey, it's your franchise. You know, and I know how he's going to, you know, have a lot to say about it. But at some point, they got to let their coach coach. Mm-hmm. And if he fails, then he fails. You know, then three years from now, you're having another job search or something. But um, you, you well, can't you, you can't bring a guy like Josh McDaniel in and say, we're going to pick your defensive coordinator. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Because it, it, that ain't going to work. Well, and the other part of this, too, it, it, it is just this idea of that I have. Look, and you and I have talked about it on the show in the past. You look at the Belichick tree, and it's not good. It's not good. No, I mean, it's not. Except for Brian Flores, right? Well, I, look, but Bill, Bill, the guy in te- at Texas, Bill O'Brien had moderate he won four success. division titles in five years. So I'm not going to sit here and say he he didn't win in the playoffs. I get that, but he went down there and won four division titles in five years. Now, if that's not successful, then then I'm in the wrong business. Okay, he didn't. He didn't take him to the next level, but he, he. So I'm not going to sit here and say he failed. But Charlie Weiss failed. Um, Romeo Cornell. And there's one more. I'm forgetting it. Well, I guess Josh McDaniel. Would be Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia. I see. I never thought it, when they hired him, I was like, why? But I think McDaniel. The one thing I'll say about McDaniel is, I think he's a little different. Than, first of all, he's been there like for the better part of 15 years, I guess, because he was there when he was like 30 years old or whatever. He I, He's probably got more in common with Belichick's way of thinking. Like you said, he went after, he, 
He could go after Brady on the sidelines. He could, you know, um, but you know, you never know about any of these guys because Belichick and Brady won't. But he, I mean, he did have Matt Castle to one year and won eleven games. I mean, um, I don't know. But they, they've limited Kevin. They've by by. And look, I'm not saying any of the other five guys that got hired would have been the right actually, hire here. I don't know. Actually, that. he wasn't the offense coordinator when Castle was there. But okay. okay, he was just the quarterbacks coach. No, no, he was actually I think in Denver already. No, no, no. Oh wait, it was oh eight. He didn't go to Denver. I don't don't think until oh uh, nine or ten. Okay, I could be I could be wrong. Okay, he he was there when Tim Tebow was there, and Tim uh, Tebow was still in college in oh eight. Right, and oh nine. Yeah, he didn't. He oh uh, nine was his senior year. But anyway. Um, they but they've kind of backed themselves in the corner because you know these other candidates well, are, and, and, and that know. and that's the other part. I don't think they had a game plan on this. I really don't. I, I you know I I think that they the idea that you know, like okay you waited a week so you lost that window on you know the be enemies of the world and, and all that that in person window that first week, and it just seems like they're flinging a lot of shit against the wall. But uh, maybe they didn't want those guys. Maybe you know well you're you're we're making assumptions based on what's out there in the national media. Here's the five best candidates. Okay, well whatever. Here, whatever. Is it um, alarming? Brian Dable doesn't even want to interview here, right? But again, maybe they look. If, if you were, if I was him, and I looked at this situation, I might not want to come here. Yeah, I, you know, I might say, hey, I, I mean, who knows what he's here around the league? Maybe people are out there saying you don't you don't want to go anywhere near Howie. You know, you don't, that, that's, that's bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but somebody's going to take the job. Um, again, like, you know, when Andy got hired, no, did anybody think Andy Reed was going to be Andy Reed? Really? Come on. It was the best period in Eagle, the best decade of Eagles football ever. And now at Kansas city, he's even better. Right. So, you know, he was a quarterback's coach. Um, you know, did anybody think when Bill Belichick, Got the job in New England after failing with Cleveland and turning down the Jets and embarrassing Bill Parcells that he was going to become Bill Belichick. So, I, you know, uh, I, I'm not smart enough to know which of these guys is going to succeed. And which, I, I know something. I didn't think Matt Patricia was going to succeed in, in Detroit, but that's partially because Detroit never succeeds. Right. There are some franchises you go. I don't necessarily think Urban Meyer is going to succeed in Jacksonville to the extent that they want him to, but I, I kind of get the feeling that he might be okay. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I don't see him winning national championships at Jacksonville, but, you know, the guy in Miami, I didn't know anything about the guy in Miami. He, I think he's a pretty good coach. You know, he was from New England, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, so, I mean, I, you know, um, but I thought the guy in San Diego was fairly good, and he just got fired, so... You know, John Gruden's making ten million dollars a year to go eight and eight. <laughs> so I mean, you know, yeah, I bet you if the Eagles had gone out, let's say John Gruden was on the market right now, and they'd going out and getting John, everybody in Philadelphia would have been having parades up Broad Street. Yeah, we got. And if three years from now the Eagles were eight and eight, what would they be saying? Yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, but I think Howie, it, if Howie and and Jeff are not going to change the way they do business. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the owner is going to be pick, picking, as we've read or we've heard, uh, Whiteside in the second round, then you got a problem, and that ain't fixable if Vince Lombardi's your coach. So yeah, I mean, did anybody think Kevin Stefanski was going to do what he did in Cleveland? 
No. Yeah, I mean, I, I all I knew was he was an upgrade over Kitchens. I mean, I, I knew that, but he's probably he might be coach of the year. Yeah. You know, either him or the guy in Buffalo, probably. And you know, poor Andy goes 14 and 2, 14 and 1. And he and he ain't gonna win coach of the year because he was supposed to go 14 and 1 or or whatever. I mean, it's um yeah, it's hey, look. Um seven guys are gonna get hired this year, and within three years, three or four of them are probably gonna be gone. And just hope it's not the Eagles guy. Yeah. And to be honest, let's, I mean, let's be honest. The Eagles are kind of, you know, the one thing we mentioned is Chips had, or, I'm sorry, Jeffrey's had immediate success with a lot of these guys. And obviously Chip was the the one kind of, but Chip had two 10-win seasons as well. It was more personality did. with Chip, Chip than it was anything. So, Well, if, if Chip had kept having 10-win seasons, Chip would have still stayed. Yeah. The the third year fell apart, but you look at the Eagles situation now, Kevin, from the fact that they won four games, the fact that their quarterback situation is unresolved, the fact that they got cap issues, the fact that they're old, the fact that they've drafted badly. Mm -hmm. That's like a lot of things like happening at once. And in this division, you don't have to do a lot to get good again. But still, I mean, who's to say that, that two years from now, the Redskins won't be an eleven win team, or the Giants won't be an eleven win team. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know that. Um, right now, all you say is, "Hey, if we get the nine wins, we got a chance to win the division." Well, that's great, uh, but you know, um, it always be like that. Let, let's um, let's go on. We'll talk about the the conference title games on more on Friday and break them down. But I want to get your reaction. I'm on this Bucks Saints game. Boy, I'll tell you what, it was tough seeing the end for Drew Brees, if that is the end. Um probably is. I mean, that was that was a tough watch. I mean, to, to watch that breakdown and, and he's a great quarterback and, and that last chapter wasn't good, but I mean it, it you know oh, he, Kevin, they were up twenty to thirteen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're driving. If that receiver doesn't fumble the ball away. The Saints are probably playing this week. Yeah, probably. And I hate to break that to you. So as as much as Drew Brees looked like an older man, and and again, Michael Thomas has no catches, and now today they're reporting he's Multiple having surgeries. surgeries, right? Um, so he probably wasn't right all year. But I'm just saying, if that guy doesn't fumble the ball, there's a fairly good chance the Saints are either going to get a field goal or a touchdown on that drive. Mm-hmm. They're going to be up ten points late in the third quarter or early in the fourth, and the whole game changes. And that happens. And then they, then, you know, then they, they, as soon as they had to play catch up in that game, it wasn't, they, they weren't going to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah. And, and someday it might be hard watching Tom Brady's. I mean, the remarkable thing about Tom Brady is he's not what he was five years ago or 10 years, I, right. but he's still pretty damn good. Yeah, he is. Um, he almost threw for 5,000 yards this year. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's certain throws he he might not be able to make as well as he used to, and and I get all that. But I'll tell you what, what impressed me was the way Tampa's defense played, mm-hmm. only because they realized, and this is why I said, like, when the Eagles played the Redskins in that last game of the year, you realize the, the other quarterback can't throw it more than 10 yards downfield. Yeah. Well, and what Tampa did was say, okay, and they just, you know, they bunched the line, they bunched the receivers. Shut and, the running um, game down. Yeah, I mean, um. Oh, one thing, 
you know, we, we should probably touch on is because I've heard other people come up with your solution to that fumble rule in the Cleveland game mm-hmm. about putting the ball in the 20 but letting the team retain possession. Yeah. So I've, I've heard that. So, and, and I and when I first heard that, I didn't, I wasn't sure that was the answer. But I guess you can't give the, the ball the one-yard line to them. No. Um, but the other thing this league has to do, and, um, um, and not because it, it – I, look, I didn't care who won the Cleveland-KC game. I mean, I always root for the underdogs. The but, targeting. You know, that targeting thing. If the NFL is serious about this, which I think they are mm-hmm. because you see it a lot, targeting calls have to be reviewable. Yeah, I agree. You have to be able, whether there was a fumble on that play or not, you have to be able to go to the camera and say, nah, sorry, Sorensen. Not only did he, t- he left his feet. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying he meant to do that, like that, that would, yeah, but he did. Yeah. And he should have been tossed and there should have been a penalty. Although at that point, I guess the penalty, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. Well, no, I guess the penalty might overrule the fumble, right? The penalty would have put the ball at the one. Yeah. Right. But would Cleveland have kept possession? Cleveland would have kept possession. Oh, well, they would have scored. So, you know, that, that might have made a difference at the end of the game. I know, but that rule. Or actually, if I'm not mistaken, then Cleveland, it would have been a. Because you couldn't take the result of the play. So it would have to be 15 yards or half the distance of the goal from the previous spot. So it would have been Cleveland ball. Okay. Just okay. probably about the 10 or so. Yeah. And I don't even know, like, why that rule is like the rule. I mean, there, there's got to be a reason 40, 50 years ago they wrote that rule. Um, You, you know, okay. Because I remember they put a rule in that you can't. In the last two minutes of a game now, you can't fumble into the end zone and, and have another teammate yourself. recover it. Yeah, the holy roller rule. Right. But then I think if your teammate recovers it, though, you still keep possession. Yeah, it's back to the, the spot of the fumble. Right. But that rule, is, it's just its too severe of a penalty. It, it just is. It's, its Yeah. You know, now if Kansas City recovers in the end zone, hey, fine. You know, it's your ball. Hey, yeah, you know, here, go go to the toy. But it, I, look, I don't would Cleveland have won? I, I don't know. Um, maybe with Mahomes not playing, maybe they would have. Who knows? But um, it's just I, I'm watching. And I'm like, man, that's that's kind of unfair. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, but your solution might be the one. And you know, I think this year in the owners, whenever they talk about their, I think that's two things they're going to talk about. Should we review targeting and that rule with the fumble? Um, you know, what should we do about that rule? It's not going to help Cleveland now. But. No. Um. All right, so let's get let's say a couple other topics here. Was there anything from any of the other two games that you like stuck out or didn't stick out or Well, it sounds interesting that Jared Goff's going to lose his job in LA. I that, that's bullshit. You know something, I I think there's a case of trying to be too like outsmart yourself. I understand what the guy's saying. Hey, we're going to have competition. That's fine. So he's telling me that Wolford's going to be the quarterback. Wofford I th- I wouldn't be surprised if they try to trade up and get a, a draft a high a number. But don't one draft. they owe Goff the same money that the Eagles kind of owe Wentz? Yeah, but their cap situation's not nearly as dire. Okay, see, I, I'm telling you, Kevin, I really wonder about franchises that give these guys these contracts. I understand they have to. To so, well, some of them have to. Mariota didn't get one, and um, Jameis didn't get one. But you give Goff and Wentz this money. And then a year later, you're talking about, well, I don't, I don't really know. And on the other game from from Saturday, and did, and did Goff play that badly? Did you think Goff played that badly? But he's not a game changer. 
I, I tend to agree with you, but he, but in that particular game, I, I know what the, you're saying, Mike. You know, but he's not. He's not. Let me put it this way: his bad moments are so bad that, like you know, and I cost him a division title, and it probably cost him, you know, maybe uh, maybe not having to go to Green Bay. Is uh, he better than Wentz? Yeah, right now he is, but barely. Think about think about what you just said. Yeah, wow, barely. No, I I. I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Um, but well, I and that leads to another weird. quarterback. This leads to another quarterback. Boy, I'll tell you what. The Ravens better find some different way of Lamar ja- with Lamar Jackson. They better get some better weapons around them. Yeah, I don't think it's Lamar. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't they're think. They're wasting him right now. They are. and But I, I don't th- I think you can win with Lamar. I, 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 oh, I, I think he can but too. But you got to have. How? They have no wide receivers, none. Like, like they how? throw to their tight ends. Their tight ends really good. The one Andrews, a- I think, a- is Edwards, Mark Edwards, Mark okay. Edwards. Um, and that's it. Yeah. I I mean, to me, if I'm the Ravens this year, I don't know where they're picking. Yeah, they're picking late. I got to get me a a studly kind of wide receiver. I mean, Hollywood you know, Brown's not that guy right now. Marquise Brown is not that guy that they imagined. No, and I know that. Look, they want to play offense a little differently you know, then teams play offense. They want to run the ball and they do it very well. But you get in these situations where you have to have, you have to have a target. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and, and, and preferably more than one, because if you only have one, you know, and, and he gets, you know, in the Saints game, they lost that guy, the kick returner guy the other day that, and that probably hurt him a lot. Um, Cause he's like their second best wide receiver. Um, yeah. It just, but that the way they constructed their team, that's how they constructed their team. And I get it. But, you know, you've had three years of Lamar and you're one and three in the playoffs. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, they lost to a good team. I'm not knocking the fact that they lost. I mean, but when your defense goes to Buffalo right. and holds Buffalo to 10 points. Yeah. And you, you lose, should win the game. That's a tough one. That's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Because mm-hmm. if you had told me before the game, I mean, I would have bet everything I own. Yeah. You know, they're only going to give up 10 points. Yeah. Look, you can't, the, the 101 yard intercept, that, that happens, you know, okay, you, you throw interception. But, um, but, you know, Baltimore's got to score more than three. Yeah. Got to. Um, let me, let, let's see. The Sixers obviously are still in a holding pattern, obviously, after what happened. I think they're back at practice today. Well, here's a problem with the Sixers, okay? And because and, Angelo was talking about this, I think, on the morning or somebody was, Apparently, they're, they're, I think Houston played with with um, Maury. I yeah, really I think don't. They, do. they they were never trading with the Sixers. They were never going to send Harden here unless nobody else made an offer. And you know that they were. And that was how do you deal with Ben Simmons now? Honestly, you're the Sixers. He knows there was an offer. Yeah, it was supposedly it was him, Thebel, or I, I pronounced his name wrong. And like draft pick or something like that, um, and that was going to be like the trade. You're Ben Simmons, and now you come back in the locker room, and Ben Simmons is fragile enough to begin with, and now it's like, okay, you didn't you didn't really want me. I'm telling you, this is going to end badly, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Whether whether Doc's here or not, and I'm not. I don't mean this year, but I'm just saying down the road. I I just I don't know. I I just and he's not changing. He is not changing. What you see, you get a guy who will get 15 rebounds, 15 assists, 
and just won't look to score. And you, you either have to accept that, that he's still an all-star player without that ability, or you, you just resign to the fact that, you know, and I, and I think Joel's window is not 10 years. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, it, it's, it's, it's a, you know, and then you look at what, what New Jersey's done in the two games that Harden's played up there, and you're thinking, oh, my God, really? Uh, the, the other topic I wanted to bring up, and this is our final topic of the day, but um, obviously I'm sure you heard the Jake Voracek thing with Mike the other night. Yeah, um, yeah. One apparently I found out what it was. Yeah. What did, you, what did you hear? Did you hear something? It was from 15 months ago. Voracek didn't like a column that Mike wrote in uh, right. the wording, and he called Mike at the time, and Mike, Mike said this to Crossing Broad, so we're not talking out of context right. here. Mike read it agreed with him and changed the wording about he saw Voracek laughing and all that in the online story, right on the online story. Right. And, um, and we don't know if Jake saw that. Well, Jake was told that it was changed. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Uh, through the flyers. Okay. And so 15 months later, him doing this is ridiculous. And and we also know the flyers PR guys, one of the best, right? Oh, Zach Hill is incredible. Okay. And I'm sure that Zach, did everything he could or whatever to try to mend this. Yeah. Although from what you're saying to me, didn't sound like a lot of mending needed to be done. I mean, we've had, we've, we've seen stuff, a lot worse stuff written about athletes in this town, right? Yeah. Well, okay. and if Jake was on any other team and if he's this sensitive over, let's be honest, the criticism that the flyers get is right. half of what a Sixer right. or an Eagle or a Philly gets right. in this town. But not to Jake. Not to I mean, Jake, but it's like, I know. you right. know, grow a little bit tougher skin. I mean. Well, hey, hey, look, I mean, I mean, Jake, look, in the last couple of years, Jake's had a lot of stuff written about him in terms of not earning his contract, being overpaid. And I'm not saying Mike wrote that. I'm saying that's been like a general kind of consensus. Um, so maybe he does carry a little bit. Have you ever been in a situation like that, Kev? Where, I was just going like, to ask um, you. What's that? I was just going to ask you the same question. Um, well, the one that I would bring up would be the thing with me and Phil Martelli in 98, um, which, which uh, you know, I wrote one line about a St. Joe team that had gone 3-13 and 13 mm-hmm. in the Atlantic 10 that year. It was picked to finish third, coming off a Sweet 16 performance the year before that. And I had we used to do a thing where I previewed the A-10 tournament when it was in Philly, and I had to come up with the most disappointing team. Right. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there, I went through all 14 teams. Okay, St. Joe went 3-13. and 13. They were picked to finish third. And I put St. Joe's. And Phil went off on me in front of a crowd um, at the Spectrum. And it was one of the worst days of my life. And um, I tried to explain to everybody, you know, what it was. Because people were like, why is, he, why is he all upset? And he called me out for being a Temple homer um, and this and that and the other. Um, and then when my boss, Mike Rathick got back, he was away that day or so he got back. He goes, do you want me to do anything? I said, no, no, no. I said, it's all. And Girardi actually called Phil. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, look, and Phil and I have had some, we've actually grown a lot closer as, as time went on. But I, I guess at that time I was considered the temple guy. I don't know what, right. whatever, but Phil was wrong. I mean, I don't know if Phil thinks he was wrong, but he, he was wrong. Um, and I've had some times where yeah, me and Dunf a couple times, and there was a couple times when Dunf was right. 
Dunf would call me on something, and I I say, you know what, Dunf, you're right. You, you know, and then there was a couple times where, where I was like, no, Dunf, you're not right. But um, but I don't think I ever had anything quite like Mike had. Like where you're on a conference call. You know. The thing with Phil was, yes. Well, and, and, was, and, and let me say, I think part of it is, to be honest, and I hate saying it this way. This is going to get taken the wrong way, but I'm going to say it. I wonder if Jake, if it's head, if it's face-to-face, does Jake do that publicly? Or does Jake call Mike over and rip a new bleep out of him there? What as, do you mean if it's face-to-face? Like you As mean opposed no on a COVID? Zoom. As opposed on a Zoom. Okay. Right. On a Zoom, since there's no personal contact, if Jake's mad about something, like the only way Jake's going to get that through the mic is on a Zoom. He's not going to say that. No, but I like, guess what I'm saying is let's say there was no COVID and Mike was in a locker room. Maybe maybe he calls Mike over and curses him out or something. Nah, as but I have to, a feeling just from the way it happened. Not as publicly. Like, you know what I mean? Okay, we had a bit of a technical issue. Mike is back on the phone. Uh, I always have tech. It's always a user error. Um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting, Kevin, when we get back to, and, and I'm assuming we're going to, I don't know if it'll be this year, but at some point where we go back to where people are in locker rooms or at the very least they're in front of a podium in front of you. Um, Cause I think locker rooms are going to become maybe somewhat of a thing at a pass. Yeah, I um, do too. To a certain degree, but it'll be interesting to see if the dynamic will be the same, you know, as it is on zoom um, where Jake would say something like that. Right. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't. Now, I can tell you, you had a, a story like that. I've had two stories. One, uh, one I got called out on Twitter uh, by a player um, for, from a flyer. Uh, Scott Hartnell uh, did not like a column I wrote after. He's the, now on Comcast. I know. I want to get Scott on, actually. Um, What's that? I wanted to get Scott on. I, I called them out after Peter Laviolette got fired. And. Um, right. I basically said it, it looked like the team had gone belly up on on Lavi Lab, which I, I stand by. And there were enough people in the organization who were telling me that. Hartnell called me out for not being the steady beat guy and saying that and, and giving my opinion. And he thought it was in, you know, it, it worked out all right. It was not. Uh, the other one, there was a Phillies pitcher who <clears throat> in 2005, and I'm not going to mention names, but in 2005, he. Um, he pitched on a Monday night and I was the, doing the beat at that point. My partner, Randy was, was off. So I'm doing the beat that night. And this pitcher came out and, uh, he, he lasted an inning and they were in a pennant race in September. He lasted an inning. And then after the game, he blew us off. He, he said he was coming back to talk to us. He went into one of the bathrooms there and walked out the back door and left us without talking. Uh, and so I wrote something like, you know, this guy was brought in to be a leader in the clubhouse and on the, and on the field. And he didn't either on Monday night. And I walked in the next day and I got my ass chewed out. So, um, those are my two confrontation type stories. Um, you know, it, it happens, but it wasn't as that neither one of them, I think garnered the attention because it wasn't on a post game show like that and and you know well my theory my theory is if you're in our business long enough you're gonna get it whether you're a good guy or bad and we know there are people in our business who who want that yeah 
you know, they're they're trying to get under people's skins and they're trying to be, you know, that kind of writer that people are going to talk about, whatever. Um, and I was never, I never tried to be a confrontational guy. Um, maybe because I covered the colleges more, you know, you could kind of take the high road. You know, I wasn't going to say, man, Chris Jenkins stunk last night. You know, you'd write around it or you'd figure it out. Um, but yeah, and look, I, I understand where nobody wants to be criticized. No, I didn't want people criticizing what I did. You know, I, I had a little bit of a thin skin. I would say, you know, people say, why'd you write that? Well, here's why I wrote it. You know, um, and I know coach, I know Dump had a little bit of a thin skin, but Dump was a great guy. He was, and he was a great you know, coach. So, you know, if he, if he wanted to get on me every once in a while, that was his right. Um, you know, I mean, you know, he, there was times when Cheney went off on me. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, he was like the puppy dog who, who barks at you and then comes up and gives you a kiss. You know, Cheney would scream and holler at me and then, you know, give you a hug or something. And, you know, and, and, and he had forgotten about it. It's, it's, that's the way it was. But, but the ultimate um, sign of respect, the way you earn the respect, and I always tell young journalists, is if you criticize somebody, you better have your ass there the next day or, or yeah. the next possible opportunity. Uh, yeah, that, and that's one of the problems, Kevin. I think I'm not trying to call people out. I don't mean it this way, but sometimes with talk radio, mm-hmm. you know, you can be on talk radio, and because of your schedule, maybe, maybe you can't be down at the press conference. You know, whatever. But I mean, how many times have we heard people say on talk radio, "Oh, they didn't ask the tough question," or, you know, well, hey, yo, dude, you know, if that's how you feel. Then be down. Let me. I'll give Howard Eskin credit for one thing. Howard will usually show up. Yeah. And now his schedule permits him, so I I get that. But I just don't like people in the media that take shots at people in the media for not asking the question that they think should have been asked. And Angelo does that sometimes. You know, well, Angelo say, "Well, you know, the, the follow up should have been this." Okay. Well, and but but I'll but I'll ask I'll 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 excuse anybody who does a morning show like because of the fact that your hours. Kevin, Kevin, you're, I get it. Yeah, I get it. But all I'm saying is if you feel that strongly about it and you do and Angelo's a little different because Angelo comes at it from a, a different way. Um, but if you're on and you get off at 10 o'clock in the morning and there's a press conference at noon and you really feel adamant that somebody should ask, well, then go. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you have to go to everyone or whatever, but every once in a while, maybe go because it, it's easy to be on a, a show where you have a microphone. But, you know. I mean, if I wrote something about Temple or Villanova, I knew I was going to, you know, if Jay Wright wanted to take it, to, to, to have, to, didn't like something, I never had a problem with Jay, ever. But I'm just saying, if that were the case, I just think you have to be there once in a while. Maybe not every day, but, um, and especially with a pro sports team, yeah, is so much different than covering a college team because you guys basically are there all the time. You know, it's, um, and it, and it's, um, it's a dog eat dog business. And you know you're I mean? not going to get along with everybody in it. You're no. not going to get along with everybody. And, but at the same time, you have to be able to, to go back at them. You have to be able to, to the, the, the thing is too, Kevin, there's so much competition. It's not the same anymore because the daily news and the inquire are one. Okay. And the suburban papers have taken such a hit. It's not what it was maybe 10 years ago. Okay. But you know, 10 years ago, you know, if you got a scoop on somebody, that was a big deal. Yeah. You know, if Kevin Cooney had a story in the paper that said, hey, Charlie Manuel said this or whatever, and nobody else had it, 
that was kind of a big deal. And now I think that's going more towards to- the, the, the bloggers and the, you know, the Elliott Shore Parks of the world who kind of have that forum where they can kind of break stuff maybe a little more easily um, because they're not answering well, to another necessarily. Well, I, th- I think to be honest, most of the news breaking news has is gone almost all national. Um, yeah. You know, especially I can tell you on the baseball beat, it's Rosenthal, it's Stark, it's, you know, Heyman and, right. and all those guys. Right. Uh, but if you're a guy covering the Phillies, I think you should break stuff once in a while. I mean, I don't think John Heyman should be getting stuff necessarily all the time that you're not getting. And, and I think our beat writers are pretty good about that yeah. for, for the most part. They get stuff, but if I, I know this, if I was the Eagles writer and I didn't get a story for six months, but ESPN had five of them and this, I don't know. That wouldn't look very good, would it? Well, yeah, but I, again, I think that sometimes, like, I think the Eagles almost exclusively anymore go through their national connections. I do. That's fine. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, something else I was thinking about, too. And and I know I've had some issues with Joe Sanliquito before. With, uh, with, yeah, well, I actually was going to bring that up. Um, yeah, and I don't always like the way Joe does his job, but he's a hard worker. But, you know, but last year when he came out with that story, he turned out to be and I'm right. I'm not even sure in that story, he did it exactly the way. Because I remember after the story was published and there were some things that people said, well, did you ask this? Did you ask that? And Joe's answers all the time weren't always the greatest. But what Joe wrote in that story basically had some truth to it. Yeah. And and we thought it had some truth at the time, but we weren't just, you know. No, my problem, and I've told this to Joe, and I actually called Joe on Saturday to tell him, hey, look, you know, you Mm -hmm. look like it looks like you got it, you know, almost 100 percent right. He, he was a, he was on the right track. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, my problem was that I didn't think Joe gave them enough of a window to, to respond to those charges when you make a yeah. serious accusation. That was the big problem. Right. Well, that's how, but that's how Joe, it, in, in all fairness, Joe just, Joe's not going to do it the same way Jeff McClain's going to do it. No. It just, it just isn't. And Jeff obviously was working on that for months, if not more than months. Um, you know, as he told us last week, and you could see it in the way the whole story was written. Yep. And again, I don't know if a hundred percent of it is true. I, you know, may, maybe some people have access to grind with Carson that, 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 or whatever, but some of it has to be true Yeah. or, you know, there's if, enough smoke to, say, to think there's a fire, you know? Well, you know, if you're asking me, do I think more than 50% of it's true? Yeah. I, I, I think I would agree with that. I mean, is every single, you know, when he says that Carson was changing plays despite Doug, well, yeah, I don't know if that's, and I gotta be, you know, another thing that bothers me and all this, Kevin, a little bit is that, and, and I'm not saying Carson should have a press conference because he's not going to answer the questions you want answered anyway. Okay. He's, he, you know, Carson, he's just going to, whatever, I'm trying harder, you know, yeah. whatever. I, I think I have a good relationship with my, whatever. But sh- he hasn't talked since he got benched. Nope. Don't you think that's a little strange? Yeah, I do. Okay. No, I just, because I never know if it's me or not. That's why I ask you. And again, I don't know what he would say or what would get asked. Um, and he probably wouldn't like a lot of the questions. But I just think his silence sort of le- leads you to believe that everything people are saying is correct then. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily the case, by the way. But that's just how we are as a public. You know. Um, I agree. I don't know, man. I, you know, I... I, I I just 
It's, it's going, I'm telling you what, man, the Eagles, it, it, it's just, it's nuts, man. They won a Super Bowl three years ago. Mm-hmm. It, it is absolutely nuts. Yeah. But hey. All right. So we're back on Friday. It will be, um, uh, Matt Breen will join us. We'll then preview the NFC and AFC championship games. Matt just had a story today. Matt, yeah. The Riamolto, um, yeah. he's talking to Reese Hoskins. I, I think Riamolto is going to get disappointed in all this. Well. Don't you? Well, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I don't think he's going to get his, his Joe Maurer money. Nope. Nope. So, all right. Well, Mr. Kern, have a good week, and we'll uh, talk to you on Friday. You got it, babe. All right. Take care. Yep. Our thanks to Angelo Cataldi for joining us. Our thanks to you for joining us. This is Work at the Beat. 